This is the Coffee Collides Crew podcast, and today we're doing the bonus episode of Westworld. And this was a special one because we teamed up with Shad on TV, more specifically, Roger Roper, known as The Raj. And we really had a good time with him. We definitely nerded out. It was, it, the time went by so fast. I was a little nervous at first because we've never done it with other podcasters. Yeah. And I think it worked out. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, we can do more of that for the future. And we hope that you Clatchers will enjoy what you hear. Before we start this, we just want to give a shout out to our listeners who gave reviews and uh, discuss the season as a whole real quick. Yeah, it's not a full Clatchers comments, but we do want to give a quick shout out to Sabrina, who's going back to listen to our GOT podcast. And we didn't get as many downloads on that. So for those of you who are Game of Thrones fans and looking for something to go back and listen to in this off season, those are still available for you. Also a shout out to Fanatically Correct. We echoed their sentiments this past Sunday. What the hell are we going to watch tonight? (laughs) We went through those same feelings. That's part of the reason we decided to do our bonus episode so we could keep talking about this wonderful show, Westworld. And then I bullied him into watching Sherlock yet again. (laughs) (laughs) Which you should all do, by the way. Shout out to Emily Jasper, who is now a Patreon member and also... She left us an amazing review on iTunes. Oh, so good. Which, thank you so much. It's really nice to hear those sentiments. It meant so much to us. And you have a very special movie podcast coming your way. Oh, yeah. I think you're really going to love that. We got a lot of fun information in store. We got an email from David that asked, was it Hewan Ford or Host Ford who was killed in the finale episode? That's something we will talk about here in the bonus. Rich wrote in about Ford's murder of Teresa and says that he feels it was a binary black and white bad guy act. He overrode the free will of a sentient being to employ him as a murder weapon. So that definitively makes him bad in his book. That is also something we will discuss in this episode, our feelings on Dr. Ford now that season one is over. I was very wishy-washy and I apologize for that. I just don't know what to say. Yeah, well, I think I see it more in a gray Manner, so I don't really have a hard stance on it either. Phil thinks that Ford initially didn't want to change the host, but caught wind of the plan to vote him out of power and force retirement upon him. Once he realized he would lose control of his intellectual property and life's work, he decided to let the host take over. He didn't think they could live with the idea that Westworld would continue operating without him. He also thinks that the host being created in the lab is Ford. Hmm. In the old field lab. Yeah, I agree with that. He gave this season a reverie rating of 10, and his MVB was Armistice for her badass scene at the end there. I like that. Why the hell not, right? Claudio agrees with our comments from the last episode where I thought when Dolores said, a place I've never been was her own death. He agrees with that. And finally, I'm going to butcher this name. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Xuan Chen? wrote in about free will, and we are going to go a little bit more in depth in that, so I won't speak on that here, but thank you for your comments. We want to thank all the Clatchers for being on board with us this season. We want to thank Oren for his insightfulness and his lovely tweets, phonetically correct, and Chris, and Philly Nuts for all your lovely tweets and your interactions with us, and everyone else who helped us out. We hope that you follow us on to Sherlock. If you're listening to us from our Westworld channel, just go in the search field, 
look up Coffee Clatch Crew, that's Clatch with a K, you'll see all of our channels go to our main one, which is the white background with the little figurine or figure of a guy with a microphone. You'll get all of our podcasts there. Don't forget to check out our Patreon page. We got a movie podcast coming out. We got a bonus episode podcast every month. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We kind of lay back. We give you the background of everything, what's going on, what other TV shows we're in. It's just a good time. Yes, and the movie podcast, we are putting extensive work into that. There's a lot of preparation, a lot of fun information. They will be a bit longer and a lot more structured, but also very interesting. So let's start this. Absolutely, I'm excited. Yeah, let's go hang out with the Raj. Enjoy the show, guys. You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld bonus episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we have a special guest from Shad on TV, Raj. How you doing, man? What's up, guys? How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me on. I, I was so excited. I went out, I bought a new coffee mug. It, uh, <laughs> it has an owl on it. Oh, we uh, those. I like those. My favorite. Yeah, they're nice. It's, it's kind of like an owl pineapple. I don't know what, what that means. I don't know if owls and pineapple have a thing, but anyway, I think I got it from uh, from Bed Bath and Beyond. My girlfriend got it for me. Actually, is what happened. So we have two mugs. We love getting mugs. Game of Thrones, Coffee Clash Crew mug. What I really like is your Coffee Clash Crew stuff that you got on your on your podcast website. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I really like. I, I'm a fan of logos. Like being a podcaster, you're like, oh, you look you look around. You're like, well, why can't we have a logo like that? That's really cool. But I, I have to ask, what is the what is the coffee clat? What is the clatch stand for? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, we get asked that a lot. It's an old German phrase, coffee clatch, that means a social gathering with friends for coffee and oh. conversation. I like that. That's really cool. That's that's much classier than chat on TV. <laughs> well, that's how this whole thing started. The podcast was just us, a group of friends sitting around talking about TV shows, movies that we liked, yeah. what we thought about them. We listened to Joe Rogan so much. We were like, hey, we can do that with our friends, but right. we have no one to listen. So, <laughs> well, You know, it's, it's also, it, it's so funny because again, we were talking about this before we started, the amount of people that like just start podcasting, but don't have a, like any understanding of the amount of time and effort it takes into it. Oh, yeah. Like we released over, we had this great idea, brilliant idea. We're like, ah, you know, we'll, we'll do three episode releases each week. We'll do an Instacast, we'll do a deep dive and we'll do a viewer mail. Right. Uh, the amount of time, it was like a full-time job. It's a full-time job to do stuff like this. Like, we got zero sleep. Like, I'm glad Westworld's not coming back for 2018 because I need rest. Yeah. And so, and so does Gene and Big D. Big D is our he's our de facto editor of all of our podcasts. And so I'm just glad that he's finally having a little bit of family time and a little bit of breathing room. But Are you anyway, going to do the show after this? Yeah, we're doing Taboo uh, on FX, which starts up January 10th. And then we're doing American Gods right after that. And then we have a Shat the Movies podcast, so similar to what you guys do where you go back and review movies. We do uh, 80s and 90s movies and whether or not they hold up or not. And uh, we're going to record after you guys. We're going to go and record um, Home Alone. Oh. Uh, so I, I just watched Home Alone again uh, for the first time in like years. And I'm not going to lie. It, it holds up. It does. But like 
you know, you have to suspend belief. Like there's obviously technological advancements that have been made since that. So the, the no longer the telephone lines going down are the excuse for why Kevin gets left at home. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's anyway. Great. Much work, though. You guys do way too many in one week. Thanks. Thanks. Been a a rough run for us, too, going from Game of Thrones right to Mr. Robot and now to Westworld. It's going to be weird when we don't have a show for 10 weeks in a row like this. We're going to do Sherlock, which will be three episodes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, And it's so funny, just like meeting people like yourself and other communities. It's like, oh, now I have a Sherlock podcast that I can listen to. Yeah. I love, I love Sherlock. I love Benedict Cumberbatch. And what Sherlock comes January? Is that, is that January 1st? January 1st. Perfect. Excited. And the 25th will be Doctor Who Christmas special. We have to review that and yeah. we'll see how the reception goes. We might go to Doctor Who after that if we have enough of a following. Right. That would be a big thing to tackle, but we love that show. Yeah. Are you a Whovian? Um, I'm not a Whovian per se. I mean, I'm aware of Doctor Who. What number doctor are we on at this point though? We're on 12th. Yeah. We're on the 12th. 12th Doctor? We don't like him very much. You don't like, this is, was this the older Doctor? This is the older Doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to, Yeah, he's not going to be around much longer, right? Well, we don't know. We think this might be his last year. We know that uh, Moffat, this is Moffat's last year writing. Oh, oh, wow. So I think there's going to be a change of guard. You know? Yeah. Right. Okay. That needs to happen on The Walking Dead. We need a change of guard over there. We dropped off on it. We dropped that. We did one season review of that and we were just not into it anymore, and you could hear that on the podcast, so yeah. it wasn't right. Uh, we know a few guys that, that do it, uh, the, the Fear What guys, they do just change their name to Critically Dead, but I feel bad for those guys, because you can hear it in their voice, too. They're like, this show has jumped the rails. Yeah. Like, it is, yeah. it is, and so, like, as recap podcasters, like, that's the biggest fear, right? Like, if we're, if Westworld's supposed to go five seasons, right? That's what they've yeah. got them mapped out. And Game of Thrones, you guys do a Game of Thrones. Like, we're on, so what, season seven next year? Like, can you imagine if Game of Thrones didn't stay up, like, the same uh-huh. quality and it started, like, jumping the shark? The amount of time that you have to dedicate to this just for a show that you hate? Like, I would, oh, it's like, that's my fear. That's my biggest fear. You already have the audience and you can't just bail on them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it, like you say, you have to love it. You have to enjoy it. It's not fun to have that conversation and bring the community in if you're not passionate about it. Oh, That's yeah. why we started with Game of Thrones because mm-hmm. it was our favorite TV show. It was perfect for us because she's a book reader and I wasn't. So we had oh, to. Oh, see, yeah, that's good balance. That's a good balance. We never found after that because Mr. Robot, there was no source no material. No. But we just got very lucky with that. Season one was great, but even. Towards the end, it started getting more difficult. You start to watch shows differently as a podcaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Robot was definitely one of those. It got so heavy and intense with the amount of detail and theory crafting. Um, still fun, just a lot of work. So Westworld has been a bit of a breath of fresh air, I think. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a kind of show. What's even yeah, scarier? I'm sorry. What's even no, go ahead. Is going to a new show? And not knowing if it's going to be good at all. We almost really? did Falling Waters. Oh. So what, which, which one is that? Which one is the Falling Waters show? So that's a- ABC as well. Uh, right? USA. Okay. USA, sorry. They were doing commercials for that during Mr. Robot. And the commercials looked awesome. Right. We were like, this would be perfect. It's the same people watching it. We know that they have this channel. Um, so our listeners will go over with us. But then we had, we had a poll on Twitter for that one. 
Black Mirror and Westworld and Westworld won. So we went with that. But if we went with Falling Water, we watched a half an episode. Yeah, we couldn't get through it. And we couldn't get through it. It was so bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, was that... So as I know this is like... Thanks, guys, for tuning in to, you know, Raj and Coffee Clash talking about other shows other than Westworld. But just bringing a tie back to Westworld, was there that fear for you guys, too, for Westworld, knowing that there were some production delays and knowing that I think the pilot was filmed, what, two years, like in 2014, right? Mm-hmm. And and there was, you know, uh, there were the, the reports that people were upset over the nudity clauses and there was some real danger. People, I mean, obviously the show has succeeded and exceeded everyone's expectations, I think, uh, including HBO's, but like. There was that fear for us. Was there that same fear for you? There definitely was. I think there was a couple of good indicators that kept us in on the show. The fact that it had such a following before it even came out. People were excited about it. Podcasts started popping up even before episode one. The fans were really hot on social media about it. And it was HBO. So we knew it was going to have the money, the production value. Right. Plus just... This type of this genre, mm-hmm. science fiction, sort of fantasy aspect to it, it was right up our alley. So we were willing to take the gamble on some of the risks that came with it, I think. And we knew how much they spent. Yeah. Pilot season. Yeah. So it was like, true. they're putting all their chips in on this one. They believe. Yeah. yeah, we found out actually just recently the budget was $100 million for season one, approximately mm-hmm. $10 million per episode. I didn't know that number beforehand. Oh, wow. I think Game of Thrones was only just up to that number last season. They were about half of that when they first started in season one. So to pour that amount of money into a season one show, that's big news. Well, that also comes on the heels of vinyl. So vinyl, I think, cost HBO $100 million as well. And that show completely like failed. Like there's only one season of vinyl. It's not coming back. So coming on the heels of vinyl, knowing there were some production delays with Westworld, knowing that they had spent the same amount of money with vinyl. We, I mean, this was not an assured hit. I mean, I think HBO was definitely crossing their fingers on this one. Um, But what it's done is it succeeded. Uh, I know we're going to talk, you know, this is a, a recap show to kind of talk all about that. But I think what it's also done is, it's returned science fiction, which I'm really excited about, into the zeitgeist of uh, pop culture again, right? You know, kind of like what Game of Thrones did with fantasy and big, you know, novels. I, I feel like Westworld has reintroduced the idea of you can do a big science fiction fantasy collaboration and it do quite well. I think we too many studios were passing on projects prior to that, but now you're starting to see stuff like passengers out in the movie. Um, I think you're going to see what a new star track is coming back to an episodic run. So we'll, we'll see, you know, what happens in a post Westworld world, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Does that make sense? Post Westworld world? No, yeah. I think so. Well, let's talk about season one overall then how it was received, what we thought about it in general, as far as how people saw it. IMDB gave the season a 9.2. Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 89%. It was described as an impressive level of quality that balanced intelligent, enthralling drama against outright insanity. (laughs) And Jonathan Nolan called it the next chapter of the human story, where we stop being the protagonists. Viewership-wise, we went from episode one, there was 1.96 million U.S. viewers, to episode 10, there was 2.24 million viewers. 
So it seemed to trend upward. People got more excited about it. The ratings went up a little bit as time went on. How did you guys feel about it? You always like it when you end with more viewership than you do at the, the, the beginning, right? You, that, I think that's, that's a good indication for a healthy second season. Oh, I think yeah. people are going to, I think you're going to even see a bigger audience come on board in 2018, you know, when they premiere season two. The show, I think, the consensus for us anyway was the pilot hit, you know, hit a home run right out the gate. There was some slowdown and character development, and there seemed to be a, a, a little bit of muddling between uh, episodes two and four. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and I think that coincides with the production delays and the fact that they went back to the drawing board and they retooled some of the story arcs, and you started to see it really hit its groove towards the end of the season. What I like best about season one, though, is there's a lot of comparisons to other shows like Lost and puzzle shows like that, right? Or Mr. Robot. Yeah, And I was not a, I only watched season one of Mr. Robot, so I don't know about season two. But anyway, season one of Westworld (laughs) seemed to, uh, all the answers to the questions were the simple answers. And I like that. I like that it didn't try to twist for the sake of twisting. Yes. And there was that danger of, of that happening, right? So when you think of, I call them the Logan truthers, where the people who are like, well, the man in black is Logan. It's not William, mm-hmm. even though there were indications, you know, at, at its very you know surface level that it was going to be William. I, I like that they didn't do that to the audience at the end. I like that they didn't leave a, a huge cliff hanger at the end like The Walking Dead did. So for me, I thought season was very satisfying. And I think that's coming, you know, through in the consensus ratings overall from a critic's perspective. Yeah, there's, you know, you're always going to, you're going to, it's not a perfect show by any means, but it's up there. Like, it's definitely better than a lot of things that were in 2016. I mean, 2016, let's, let's be honest, it a pretty terrible year, but at least we had Westworld, right? It's true. Well, Game of Thrones, we really loved. Oh, Westworld. yeah. And Mr. Robot. And Mr. Robot, that's it. Yeah, really. Yeah. I agree. I think that. Overall, the season was fantastic. It opened strong. We also had our ratings dip a little bit personally for Jason and I, episodes three, four, and five around that area, and then come back up. I think we started to get that fear like we had with Mr. Robot as podcasters. Would they answer any of the questions? So, of course, by the end of season one, you still want to have some cliffhangers, but you do need a certain amount of the mystery kind of unfolded for you Mm -hmm. to keep the suspense going, to keep you excited. So we started to get worried about that, but they really delivered, I think, from episode six right through to the end. And I like that the questions that remain open at the end of season one are the really big ones that I think the writers are trying to tackle, the the larger questions. So we got the smaller mysteries sort of uh, answered a little bit, but... I think the theme is going to run through all the way, hopefully five seasons. One thing that I try to make sure I stay conscious of is, especially when you're a podcaster, you tend to want in a show to theorize and you want there to be questions (laughs) and you forget that there's also like every show isn't about the questions or isn't about how these crazy theories could be hidden behind every episode. It's also just as important that the storyline is something that you can get on board and and that you enjoy. And I think Westworld had a good balance of both. 
And that's where they really did well. The visuals were amazing. The acting was amazing. But the storyline was beautiful. We said that a lot, right? It's not just the answer. And that might shock some of our podcast fans coming from Mr. Robot because we did love to come up with theories mm-hmm. and we love to be right when they came true. But it's not everything. It's the journey of how they tell the story. So most people knew that William was going to be the man in black. That was a very popular theory. Right. But even when that came true, it was no less satisfying for me because of the way the story unfolded. Exactly. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to definitely agree with you. And then for, for us, one thing that we talked a lot about on our podcast is when you talk about the journey, certainly the more prevalent ones were the the Maeve storyline the man in black Williams storyline and to a lesser degree, almost like the Bernard storyline, right? Um, those are like the big reveals, you know, so to speak is may becoming sentient Dolores on her journey, man in black. But for me, what I really enjoyed. And if you look at the overarching story, it really tells a tale of Dr. Ford, right? The fact that here is a man that started something with his best friend, his mentor, and it was around advanced, very advanced artificial intelligence and robotics. And he never intended it to be what it became because of corporate money and corporate interest to keep his dream alive, which was almost a tragedy, right? The fact that his best friend and mentor died at the hands of what he had created is, you know, very Shakespearean. But the fact that it then from there, it took him 35 years to complete that. And at the end, that's what we see as the culmination of season one is him dying. So when I hear, you know, and I read the reports and I read the interviews of what's upcoming in season two, I look back at season one. And I'm like, wow, you know, there was it was a very intricate story. Uh, the fact that they were able to accomplish doing different time frames, waving into one tail. But if you look at all about season one, in my opinion, the best storyline that they did was the daughter Ford. And, and, and they did it so subtly, right? It's, it's not like we call it the Indiana Jones reveal. Like, you know, at the end, it's, it's a little tropey, right? We've seen it before where you put the hat on and then it reveals that it's, that it's Logan or Man in Black or something like that. Like, but like with Dr. Ford, it was, it was done very skillfully and very masterfully. And I think there's, you know, there's a, a bunch of different factors that go into it. Uh, mainly is that Sir Anthony Hopkins is a national treasure. Yes, Absolutely. And even after all this, we still, I mean, I personally still have many questions about Ford. Now we know what his goal was or what he was actually trying to do with this new narrative, but I still don't know why some of the things that he did, why did he do it this way? And why was this the ending that he came up with? There's so many storylines within his character that I think we're still going to get coming in the next seasons or next season or two. Yeah, that's that's true, especially the fact that early on in the season, they led you to believe that Dr. Ford was so at odds with Arnold Yeah, when they first opened the park, what they wanted to do, how they saw the future of this going, that Arnold just wanted to create, quote unquote. He didn't want to open it up to other people. Then they threw you off with making Ford appear to be a bit of a bad guy yeah. at times, uh, being very rude to the hosts doing things towards the end that were downright evil. And we got a Clatcher's comment about that, having Teresa murdered at the hands of Bernard. Right. So 
they made you flip-flop a lot because by the end we think, well, he really did want the host to achieve consciousness after all. At some point, he picked back up on this idea that Arnold had. He wanted them to achieve sentience and be able to, I guess, make their way in the world Yeah. in the end. But uh, yeah, that's still a bit of a mystery for me. Last episode, I was like, is Dr. Ford a bad guy? And in the end, I had said, I guess not, because if we're on the host's side, then he was doing all this for the host. And I completely forgot that he actually had Teresa killed. And who, who knows who else? That he had Bernard kill himself. Had- <laughs> but I think that was also part of his master plan, right? If you were to think about it, if you were to think that, okay, well, he, he was the one that programmed Maeve, if you, if you believe in that, then Maeve was their program. He knew that Maeve was going to go down to Cold Storage and, and locate Bernard. Right. Right. And that was and Bernard would eventually find his way back to to, you know, the underground laboratory with Dolores and Halfhold, that whole interaction. So I think it was needed for Bernard to kill himself with the whole I will agree with you, the whole Teresa thing. It is a little difficult for me to defend for there. However, I'll present this argument. Um, Is it better Right to what Teresa wanted to do, which was roll back the hosts and keep them as almost slaves for depraved humans uh, who have way too much money to come in and, you know, lay waste or, you know, have uh, all of our most primal instincts fulfilled, right, to these beings, if you want to, you know, consider robots humans or, or beings or like pets or whatnot, is it, is it worse for humanity to do that or is it better for humanity to allow these beings to be free right uh to set this you know almost their slaves free right if you believe that the host can feel and 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 have true emotions and i think that you know that's why it's such a cool conversation at the end of it is was dr ford a hero or was he a villain right we do sometimes in humanity we've done some pretty terrible things for the ultimate end game Right. We dropped. I mean, this is, you know, I don't think it's exactly like it, but Gene brought this up on the podcast Uh, and it's even talked about in the in the episode. Right. Oppenheimer, who you know was part of the atomic bomb, he said Oppenheimer took 10 years for himself to, you know, to 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 feel, you know, like what he did was for the greater of humanity. Right. You know, even though he looks back and says it's kind of a mistake, he never should have unleashed that power into the world. Right. So Dr. Ford, it took him 35 years. Right. To reconcile with that. But so I think, you know, sometimes you have to do bad things to get to an ultimate goal. And I subscribe to the idea that Dr. Ford is a hero, even though he did kill Teresa. Good. All right. So we have an answer. That's good. I don't know if I can come up with one. I think I still feel the same way I did in episode one. I was already saying for me, I, I think he's going to be a gray character throughout because, yes, he might still be fighting for that ultimate good and you do have to sacrifice certain things along the way but i also think there's a line when do you cross that line where uh what you're doing does it is it really okay to justify do do the ends justify the means i guess and and i think we need to know more we need to know how much has ford done over the years and how much has he sacrificed to get to this point how many teresas were there how many elsies were there if she is in fact dead now his recreation of 
Arnold into host Bernard mm-hmm. still rubs me the wrong way. There's something very creepy about that. There's something very creepy about his host family that he keeps in the old field lab. I love him. I think he's a genius, but I think as some of these questions get answered, we'll know more about, is he a good guy or a bad guy? And, and is it the end of him? Because this very possibly is not even the end of the Dr. Ford storyline. Right. So I have two things off of what you just said. One is at the end of him. So we had a listener say, was that host that was being created when Teresa was killed, is that Ford? Mm-hmm. Now, let's back up real quick, Raj, just so you know. We first said after that episode that it's Teresa because then he could implant the host Teresa back into the, the um, real world, <laughs> the real world and with the, the money people and use her as a tool to get what he needed. I thought that would be perfect. And then we, we realized that they all knew that he, she was dead. Yeah. So then we thought maybe it's Elsie, mm-hmm. but now we're thinking it's Dr. Ford. But now the next question is the Dr. Ford that was shot. Is that the host or is that the human Dr. Ford? Yeah. So we thought the exact same things. So I think, you know, there's, um, in your last podcast, you mentioned that there were like, uh, there are similarities right between every podcast, right there. And, and I think so a listener wrote in, they're like, why don't you talk about like what other podcasts talk about? And you're like, well, cause we're our own and we think it's fun to like talk about different things. And that's why people listen. But yeah, no, we thought a very similar thing. In fact, big D did a whole Instagram CSI thing where he took, he like measured, I don't know how he did this. He measured the pubic bone of the, the host that was being developed in the laboratory. And he's like, well, this ha- this is obviously a female pubic bone, so it must be female. So it's obviously Teresa and Elsie, but we don't know. So I, w- I thought that it was Elsie. I thought it was Teresa. Um, because kind of going with that future world um, idea that they were going to start implanting hosts into the outside world for their own uh, development. I still think that's what Delos ultimately wants. They want that IP, right? Um, but... If it is Dr. Ford, let me present a, another question to you. Why would Dr. – how are they going to inject Dr. Ford's consciousness? We haven't seen that, right? People say, well, it's obviously Dr. Ford now and he's going to inject himself into a host. We haven't really seen that, right? We haven't seen anyone take someone's consciousness and ideas and memories and implant them in someone else. We've only seen that he created a host in the likeness of Arnold that was his best friend. or And then Arnold did the same with his family and then programmed them based on traits that they have. But they're not really robots. It's not like the Matrix. It's not like where they're plugging in, you know, now I know Kung Fu or now I know everything about it. So if it is indeed a Dr. Ford host, who's going to program it to be Dr. Ford? Right. It would just be a host that looks like Dr. Ford based on the information that we know today. Right. Yeah. I think the most likely answer is if he was creating it, he was creating it as part of the fake out. So like you said, that last scene where we saw Dr. Ford being killed by Dolores, then that would have been the host version. So everybody thinks he's dead and he human Ford can continue along with his mission. So I think for me, if, if, host Ford was being made there. It was for those purposes. There's also a scene, I think, with Bernard and Ford in the church. And Big D brought this up. He's like, well, look at the way that they're shaking hands. It was an odd way to shake hands. And then the the camera zoomed in to the handshake. And we know from the original movie that Westworld, the way that you could differentiate humans from hosts was the hands. Hmm. And and, And Big D theorized that 
is this a, a nod that the host, Dr. Ford, that we're seeing is, or uh, the Dr. Ford that we're seeing is a host. So I think it could go either way. I mean, it's a trope that's been done before. So I think there's a lot of people on either side of the fence on that one. And then there's other people who say, well, you know, if you look back, the hosts have a cranial plate that saves them. If you look on the website and if you look at the scene, the bullet travels through the entire head and breaks the glass. So there's no way that he's. So, I mean, we don't know. I mean, that's the thing was we don't know. We don't know. And I'm excited to figure out whichever way they go. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think what's exciting to us is the idea of two different factions of hosts, you know, in the park, right? Because it's almost like the Planet of the Apes analogy. And we talked about this on one of our pod swaps is you have humans, right? Because the only humans that we saw killed in the finale are the Delos board VIPs. Right. Mm-hmm. And if the, if, if the park we know can hold 1,400 people, and if there's multiple parks, right, with Samurai or Shogun World, then – where are the other guests? What's going to happen to them? Right? Is, is are there going to be is it going to be the Bernard and Dolores host gang with Maeve and Hector and Armistice, and they're going to be warring each other, and then the humans are going to be stuck in the middle? You know, it's. I think that that's a really neat idea, and so I, I think Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy have said in season two that there's going to be more of a focus on the human side of things like we really got a we really got a sense for the host in season one right it was like a prequel so i think we're going to see it from the human side the guest side which i think is a really neat narrative to tell i agree and i I love that if you went along with that idea season one we get the host viewpoint season two we get a little bit more of the guest human viewpoint do you think we see outside of the park then in season two or does that wait for season three well, we know Peter's going out the there. The bigger picture, right. Because we were told that Peter was being sent there, but then it was sort of dropped after that. We hadn't heard anything more about it. But we know Lee Sizemore is still out there. <laughs> he wasn't in the park, so he's alive. If he hadn't yet, he probably will release Peter out there. Yes, and we were very close to seeing Maeve leave, although yeah. that turned around at the last minute. One of my biggest disappointments, yeah. I think, from season one. I was really hoping to see it end with her ride on the train out of the park, but you can't win them all, right? Yeah, I wanted to, I def, that was one of the questions I was going to ask. What are our thoughts that she didn't leave on the train and she came back? So my thought is with the Maeve storyline is – Everything that she was being told to do, you know, and this is Bernard, you know, points this out. He says, look at your program. And he's got his little iPad and he says, everything you've done up until this point, including leaving the park and and infiltrating the outside world or leaving the mainland, that was programmed by Dr. Ford. Dr. Ford wanted her to leave because he knew it was a test. This is my take on it. This is a test. If she can truly achieve consciousness and sentience then she'll exit the train because that will then show that she's broken her narrative and she truly cares and feels for uh, someone who is not really truly her daughter, right? She, she acknowledges the fact that it's not really her daughter. Her apperception tells her that it's not her daughter, but when she looks and she sees the mother with her child, she realizes that even though I didn't give birth to this, I still have the same feelings. And now I'm, I think you guys use the term woke. Now I'm woke. Yeah. I'm going to get off this train and that and that's our nod to the audience that she's achieved sentience in the same level that Dolores has. And so I like that 
but to answer to go on with seeing the outside park, what elements of the outside park do we want to see? Like for me, it would be cool to see the Delos board, but like, what else do you want to see in the outside world that would be pertinent to Westworld? If we do see more of the board and what their idea is for wanting to steal the code, the information that they were after so badly from Ford, what do they want to do with it in the outside world? What is their intention? And I'm sure every single podcast has talked about this as the ultimate goal for them to have robots as personal slaves and servants, one in each household. Is it to build a robot army? Uh, is it so that people can live forever and eventually advance to the level where they can download their consciousness into a robot and continue to live after their body dies? So what is their main goal for stealing that? And once we find that out, why? What has the world become that we want this so badly? Because we did hear a little bit about that from the man in black, right. that we've sort of achieved this level where there are no more wants, but now there's no purpose left. And I don't see how this could fulfill that role. People coming to the park and experiencing Westworld helps them find purpose, helps them discover who they are. I don't know how you translate that to the outside world, but that would be an interesting concept for me just to make it a little bit bigger. My sentiments are exactly what yours are. But to add on to that, I'm curious. I want to see what's going on. If we have the technology to create robots like this, hmm. what, are, what other technologies are out there in the regular world? And if the man in black is saying, we no longer have needs. So if we can create a robot, a robot like these, we definitely have some kind of mechanical robots or what have you that do the dishes, do the cooking, do the cleaning, do the driving, you know, I want to see, is this the kind of future that they see or that mm. the Westworld world has where we don't have any needs because everything's taken care of us for us. Right. And also I'm a nerd. I want to see, I love every time they bring that iPad out. I'm like, I want that. So I want to see right. what other cool shit is out there. <laughs> yeah, no, agreed. You know, it's, it's the idea of like the larger world, right? It's, it's, what else is beyond, you know, do, do you guys subscribe to the idea that this is based on an island? Like this is one giant, you know, uh, what's, I don't know what the, was Island Nubar, whatever the Jurassic Park Island was, oh. right? You had, you had that one. So it, obviously not, it's based on a Michael Crichton book and an idea. Uh, and there was the idea of the mainland that was presented in episode 10. So is this one big giant island or is it just somewhere near a coast or is it like have a, a giant lake? Like, I just want to know where it is. I think that I just tell me where it is. That's what I want to know. Yeah, we talked a lot. One of our fun theories on the podcast was how it could tie back to Greek mythology in certain ways. And, and we brought that up early on because our clatchers are amazing. Yes. And they like to make these connections. And the fact that Delos goes back to Greek mythology of a floating island. And so I think that cued us off very early on that that's probably what we were seeing. And then the terminology that they use throughout the season reinforced that. Do you still feel the same way, yeah, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. How big is this island, though? Because I, I have a feeling there's way more worlds than we assumed. You know, we, we thought perhaps there's three because the movie had three. But now we know if there was other two do exist, there's at least four because mm -hmm. of Samurai World, right? I think that's if, if you subscribe to the belief that the movie is canon, right? And if there's a medieval world and there's a Rome, Rome is a Roman world, Roman world, right? Roman world, medieval world. And then there was West, uh, West world. 
in what we've seen so far is Shogun World or Samurai World, whatever we want to call it. Does that take the place of one of those or is it in addition to? Because even you go a step further and you can say, well, in Future World, they had Future World, right? Like there was, so there could have been five parks, you know, we don't know. But I mean, that's, I mean, there's a hint that, and I think this is done on purpose. I think the idea that it leaves it open, the fact that they put a park one, there's no other reason that you would put a park one unless there's other parks, right? Right. And what and is Westworld Park One or is Westworld Park Two? That's a good question. That's a good question, right? Like we don't know. We don't know what number it is. So you know they could possibly put hosts like the the, the daughter of Maeve. If they wanted to get it away from Maeve, they could just you know it's like working at Walt Disney World. I used to work at Walt Disney World, right? Walt Disney World encompasses four different theme parks. Not including the, the water parks. But anyway, so there's Epcot, there's Magic Kingdom, there's Animal Kingdom, and then there's Hollywood Studios, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is, and my analogy is, if you were to take one of the workers, right? You, you take the Maeve daughter from Epcot and put her in Animal Kingdom. And now she's over there Animal Kingdom. So is Maeve going to go to Animal Kingdom to rescue her daughter? And the, in Westworld's case, is she going to go to Shogun World or something like that and going to discover that, you know, little Maeve is, I don't know, She's the daughter of one of the samurais. I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, or is that just too much? You know, but we did see the HBO recently. It just came out. They registered Samurai World and Shogun World or Discover Samurai World or something like that as as URLs. Yeah, I don't know if that's just done, you know, so that they they stop people from having it or they're actually going to do something with it. Then there's the worry. Is it going to get too big for us as viewers? Is it going to be too much and we can't get a grasp on it? And we no longer can care that much because there's no, it's not as um, focused. Focused, yeah. Let me ask you guys this: Game of Thrones. <laughs> True. <laughs> is is the biggest story ever told? And I love that George did that on purpose. It's a whole nother. Yeah, but George kills them. Uh, can of worms, but so we get room because he just kills them. <laughs> he does, but they were very smart with how they had to adapt the TV show. You know, rolling five people into one, so five book oh, yeah. characters become one actor, so that you can kind of keep track of the storylines a little more. And they have underlying themes that run through each geographical area, each set of characters. They kind of keep you tied to things, and also each area that you go through sort of has a main character that you Mm -hmm. root for and relate to. So I think a similar structure here would keep us rooted. So as we went through different areas of the park, we saw through the eyes of one host that we knew fairly well that we were connected to, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that was Dolores or Maeve. And as long as they continue with that, I think that it's exciting to open up new areas, especially when you're looking at five seasons. Yes, yeah, start small and keep branching out. Yeah. That that keeps it new, right? Absolutely. Maybe there's we find out there's a bunch of Doctor Fords <laughs> right? for every world. Right? We're like, Holy. right? Like d- different directors. <laughs> yeah. Different direct- oh my goodness. Yeah, we. I floated. I, I I hope this doesn't come across as like anything other than I would just want to see. But like um, when I think of like Shogun and Samurai, I think of like George Takei and Star Trek and all that stuff. So I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if like George Takei was the park director? He was the Doctor Ford of Shogun world, samurai world. Like that would be awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. See George Takei. Cause he's, you know, similar age group as Dr. Ford and like, or Sir Anthony Hopkins. And you know, you could, I don't know. I don't know. It's probably never going to happen, but yeah, <laughs> there could be. But what if I they think, all are Anthony Hopkins? So there's just five different, so it's multiplicity. It's Ford, the idea that Ford, Ford, Ford. <laughs> and that Dr. Ford was never even human. Oh, right. Yeah. It was just, it was just a, <laughs> right. I don't know. Oh, man. Right. And the real Arnold is the one, 
I'm hold on. I gotta I gotta go put on my aluminum tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah. I gotta I gotta join in on this. A little bit over. Hey, I wanted to ask you since so you worked at Disney World. I did. Did you ever feel the need? And don't and you don't have to tell me to kill guests. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> to, to go to Mickey and let Mickey know that he's not real. Well, I actually uh, I believe the proper term is I also worked with the characters. So if that means anything to you. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like you were the, I work, yeah. Okay. All right. yeah, I was, I, I worked in entertainment, uh, and I was, uh, did that. I worked with goofy, uh, and other characters that were of similar height of goofy. And then I also did stilt walking. Yeah. I was very in depth. I, I, I knew, I knew, you know, obviously there's tunnels underneath magic kingdom and you yeah. would go and you would see, you know, characters without their, their heads off and stuff like that. You know, spoiler alert for, for, you know, Walt Disney world fans. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I dated, uh, most of the, most of the yeah. Mickey's are, um, are female. And oh, wow. so, and so I dated a, a, a few Mickey's in my, in my life. <laughs> nice. Cause they, they had, what's well, mouse height, right? So they had, they had, you had Donald height, you had uh, Mickey height. This is terribly boring for your listeners, but you had, you had duck height, you had Mickey height, you had chipmunk height, you had Pluto height, you had Tigger height, and then you had goofy height. And then you had some beast height and beast was like six foot three and above. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how they you segment out by height, so that you know when they when you come off set, there's another goofy that comes out, and you know it doesn't yeah. doesn't so look too different. Mouse you would have been the yeah. lowest height. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you're four eleven and below, you're duck height. If you're four eleven to five foot one at the time, I believe it was, then you were mouse height. Yes, mouse you're height. Mouse. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Elsie because there's a lot of people that think that Elsie's dead and there's a lot that think that Elsie could be alive. And after one of the emails that we got, remember the coded email that we received after, yes. I believe, episode 10? Someone out there translated the code. It worked out to be two links hidden on the Delos Incorporated uh, website. Mm-hmm. One is a three-second soundbite of Elsie asking hello. And the other, the second link takes fans to go to a short video that shows Elsie on the Westworld map. So, I mean, that's kind of like a breadcrumb trail to Elsie, essentially, right? So she could be alive. And we know that Stubbs went to look for her, and then he was taken by, I guess you would say, Ghost Nation. Yes, Army. thank you. I think that he wasn't killed, and I think she wasn't killed. I think she had those guys go and get him, and they're hidden somewhere in the park. Yeah, I agree. I think just the fact that we haven't seen an end to her story by the end of this season means that there's more left, that she's probably not dead at this point. I think the idea of her character continuing to push things a little too far, to question, to to ask the difficult things, is something we're going to continue to need from a narrative plot standpoint in season two, especially if you've taken other characters off of the board who might do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely think we'll see more of Elsie. Let me ask you guys this when it comes to Elsie and Stubbs. So we know that Elsie questioned a lot, right? And then we also saw like, at least in season one or season two, uh, Stubbs do the same, right? When he asked Bernard about, you know, do you have kids at home? Right. Oh, yeah. The idea I think when it comes to Stubbs and Elsie and Jonathan Nolan actually is quoted in one of the interviews by saying that they did have a definitive resolution to both their storylines, but because of the rewrites and the reproduction, those had to be pushed out towards season two. Do we think that Dr. Ford is behind the kidnapping? Because there's 
evidence that points that it was Bernard that captured Elsie and it was Ghost Nation that captured Stubbs. We've seen evidence that Dr. Ford controls both of those, right? Ghost Nation potentially could have been his automation when he's uh, doing everything from a security perspective, right? I don't think that he killed my, my theory. And just based upon the evidence that's presented to me, he was probably, he captured them before he knew that the huge thing was going to happen at the end, the red wedding of Westworld, so to speak, (laughs) he knew that was going to happen. So he, he protected people that he knew would further along his master plan in season two and three and whatnot. So I think you're going to see more of Stubbs and Elsie in season two It's just, which side is he going to be, which side are they going to be on? We know that Bernard had a connection to Elsie. Uh, so potentially Elsie could be team Bernard and, you know, Stubbs could either be on the same team or he could go to team Maeve, right? With the whole security thing. So I think they are going to come out. I don't, I still do. I believe that they are alive and there was a reason why we saw them be taken alive, kidnapped alive. Right. So that's, that's my whole theory. And that's, that's what we think over on chat on TV anyway. I want to agree with that. I think it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of covers the characters that we didn't, know what happened to them except for Logan. The last we see of Logan, he's being sent off on a horse to ride. <laughs> yeah. With a black feather. Sunset. Uh, so any thoughts on, is that the end? I feel like, how does he really tie into our bigger storyline in the future? For me, that feels pretty wrapped up. Well, we know that William, the man in black, ended up taking over for Delos, right? Mm-hmm. So that means... Something happened to Logan. Either he never showed up home again Mm -hmm. and Logan's father made William the man after a while. Or when they finally got back, he broke Logan down so much Mm -hmm. that he was able to take over. He was in a position of power. I just don't know. And I don't know if we need to find him again. They wouldn't let him die out there, especially back then, because everything is monitored. If they could help it, yes, the park wouldn't let him intentionally die. I think we've seen indicators that the further into the outskirts of the park you get, there could be accidents. Um, It's maybe not totally out of the question that he met with a natural accident out there, but I agree with you that it also could be that he came back and is now subservient Mm -hmm. in, in a sense to William, but... That still brings up a lot of questions as to how exactly William winds up taking control of this family business, and is there more to tell there? Yeah, I'd like to see that story. I mean, I would like to explore that, and I think that goes into the idea that we, I think, all want to see what Delos, uh, the board, and who's on the board. We know that there's Charlotte. We know that the Man of Black was part of the board. Could Logan still potentially be part of the board? You know, do we want to see Logan's father? I think it was memed on one of the Westworld fan sites that, or maybe even came from Reddit, that the the ideal person that, to play Logan's father and William's father-in-law would be the actor who played the Lannister King, King Lannister. He would be like the perfect role. Right. Like he'd be the perfect actor to play that role. So I would like to see the the Logan character, and especially if Man in Black now is. We still think he's alive, right? I mean, he only got shot in the arm. Yeah. Right. When you look at a story arc, right, if, if you were to compare this to, like, Star Wars, I'm talking about, like, the original Star Wars, like the 1970s. So you have New Hope, you have Empire, and you have, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi, right? In any trilogy, there's, you know, you have the beginning, you know, it tells the story, the awakening, right? The rebels win or something like this, or they're about to win. So in Westworld, it's the hosts. Then you have Return of the uh, Empire, 
which is, you know, the, the empire, or I'm sorry, empire strikes back, which is, you know, the idea that, okay, the, uh, the bad guys are going to win in the middle. And at the end, you know, the, the good guys win, right? So you have the middle story is where the heroes of the protagonists are at their lowest. So if you could do the same and stretch out across five seasons, you have to imagine that the hosts are going to continue. There's going to be factions that are formed in season two. Then they're going to be at their low point in season three. And then season four and five are them, you know, returning back and, and finding their way around the world. If you subscribe to the belief that the hosts are the protagonists, right? So that's, you know... the if you were doing a storytelling 101 exercise or a paint by numbers approach, that would, that's where I would put my money. I wonder if season two, we end up saying, are we team human or team hosts? Oh yeah. By the way, we'll be awesome t-shirts. Yeah, no kidding. I'm team host. <laughs> Store that one for later. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Speaking of Logan, I have a fun fact for you about the actor who plays him, Ben Barnes in real life. Apparently he broke his foot the day before arriving to their first day of shooting, and he was afraid of losing his job. So he didn't tell anybody, oh. and he just used the limp to look like a character choice. But he then had to maintain it the entire time during filming and just oh, wow. have it seem like it was supposed to be part of Logan's character. I might get shot for this, but I never noticed a limp. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't notice a limp either. That's, yeah. that's pretty rad. Did I'm you notice uh, I think a little bit now that I think of it, that made me think of Kit Harrington when he accidentally fell out the window and broke his leg right. the day before shooting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy smokes. What are these actors doing? I know. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. The moral of the story is, uh, you know, never, uh, if you have a big acting job on a big series on HBO, you, you tell them nothing. Oh, yeah. Of course. You know? I guess that works. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, the fact that I'm bleeding out of my eye, sir? Uh, that's a character choice I've made. Yeah, you don't right? like it. It's commitment. Yeah. It's total commitment to the character. A couple more fun facts. Apparently, Michael Crichton was approached to make a remake of his movie before his death in 2008, but he declined. Hmm. And Quentin Tarantino was asked to helm the remake, but he declined also. That would have been a very different movie. Yeah, was, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that would have been... I mean, listen, I love Michael Crichton's work in terms of, you know, his ideas, uh, but a lot of times they're not executed. Like if you look back and he had, I mean, he wrote and directed the original Westworld. It is not good. It is not. It is. It is quite terrible. They, gave, um, they didn't give him, let's be fair. They didn't give him a lot of money. That's true. He was on his own. It was his first time ever directing. Right. And it was, he wasn't the first one to do that kind of computer graphics, Right. He was the first. Yeah. Was, he was the first. Yes, I think that was the issue. We feel overwhelmed if we have too many podcasts to do. Can you imagine right. how overwhelmed he felt? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. But, you're but right. I mean, Hollywood was a simpler time back then. That's yeah. true. You could, just, you could just write a story and studios would give you $10 million and say, you know, go make something. Right. But um, no, I think, you know, Quentin Tarantino did such a good job with Django and Chains and with uh, The Hateful Eight that I think he probably would have made a fantastic Westworld movie. I'm a huge Tarantino fan. The violence probably would have been much more over the top. And, uh, you know, there probably would have been much more. So I, I think Westworld stories like this in a golden age of television where people are consuming more, where they're looking for, a, you know, not, not something that they have to turn off their mind. Right. I feel like movies now you go to the cinemas, you turn off your mind. Right. 
more nine out of 10 times, like, you know, one out of 10, you'll get an arrival and you're like, Oh, now I have to think. Yeah. But I think people go to the cinemas now to, to turn off their mind. And when they really want to think they want it in a 10 to 13 episodic arc, and they want it to be distributed, uh, on, on a channel that allows for filmmakers, uh, to create their vision. Right. And they don't want, I think gone are the days of shows, on network televisions that have to have a 24, you know, 22, 23 episodes per season. And now more artists and directors and storytellers are turning to venues like HBO and, and like Netflix and Amazon prime that will allow them to see a vision from start to finish. And that's as, as fans of, and consumers of that, this is a this is this is an amazing time to be alive. I think it's fantastic because you're starting to see people be able to like tell their full story without studio interference, right? Now, I mean, you can't get a movie made in Hollywood anymore. So they're they're you know that's why I think people. I mean, if they say okay, they were trying to make a remake in 2008, it, it, it got shelved, right? And I think it's because a story like this needs. Uh, Ten episodes to tell. I think it needs multiple seasons to fully tell. Absolutely. And I think people are interested in that. And it needs money. It's definitely true. I was just it needs money. Yes, it, yeah. it needs money. It needs production value. That's why I'm glad it found a home in HBO. It because it does feel like an extended movie at times. When you get these ten episode seasons, they're really able to unfold slowly and do it justice. And you also see it's not just the directors and the producers and the writers coming over, but it's the actors as well. So if you would have told me a couple of years ago that we were going to see Anthony Hopkins in a show like this, I don't think I would have believed you. That's part of what made this story, I think, so amazing in season one. Not just the fact that there are big actors, but almost every single character on the show acted the shit out of their roles. I mean, it was very convincing. They did a beautiful job, especially the actors that had to play hosts and switching back and forth. I said from episode one, Lewis Hertham. I don't mean to be sacrilegious and put down Anthony Hopkins or Ed Harris, but I think Lewis Hertham was my favorite character. You just gave your MVB? I don't want to say MVB yet, okay. but as far as acting performance, it was a briefer time period, but it was truly amazing. I have to agree. I mean, we saw him for two episodes. So much happened after, and we still remember him. And we still, I mean, I, I still get tingles with that scene. It's insane. Yeah. And I didn't realize, kind of off topic, but not really, when Dolores was having her flashback and we heard that the host was practicing a speech, Yes. that was Peter. Yes. I did not realize that. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, like, that's what's great about Westworld is you have to pay attention to the background because there's a lot of things that are happening. The writers have done a fantastic job and the directors and the, and the producers when they show you something and it progresses the story forward versus them having to do a lot of exposition to catch the audience up, right? Oh, In yeah. a visual medium like television. And I think this is where walking shows like the walking dead are really failing is that they tell the audience by lots of words versus the first season of Walking Dead where there's entire scenes of Rick just doing things and you're like, okay, well, he's by himself and he's doing things and that's awesome and that's great. And, we're, you know, we don't have I mean, uh, the scene where Morgan with his wife and he can't shoot her. Yeah. He's not talking to himself. Like, I can't, you know, I can't shoot you, baby. I can't put you down. You see, and like the, the actor is emoting, right? Oh, you know, yeah. like, so when, and when Westworld, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's truly, I think uh, Evan Rachel Wood said this, it's an exercise in acting 
when they tell you to turn off your affection or turn off the thing and you have to immediately go into that and yeah. you act like someone else. But I agree with you. My MVB all day is my boy, Lewis Hertham, uh, because, you know, you still remember him from season one. And I mean, you're seeing all the awards now with Golden Globes and Critics' Choice Awards. And I, I do believe that there's uh, there's got to be an award somewhere for Lewis Hertham. Not only is he an amazing actor. But he's a hell of a guy as well. Uh, he, we reached out to him on Twitter. He, he did. If you listen to Shout on TV, he actually is our uh, a cold opening. Like he's yeah. on, he recorded an yeah. opening for us. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Just so down to earth and like, just. Uh, in fact, I think that's the entire cast of Westworld. I mean, they all seemed to be extremely nice. They're very active on Twitter. They're very active with their fans. And none of them seem to be like a jerk, which is really cool. And they all seem to like have a really good time with each other. Yeah, they seem uh, In fact, I'm, we're interviewing Ptolemy, uh, who was one of the Red Smocks down there, Sylvester. Wow. We're interviewing him tomorrow, uh, which will be pretty cool. We're excited about that. Sick. Before we get into the actual MVBs, I know we just kind of broached it, but we're talking about the actors and what an amazing job they did. And I was hoping that they would be recognized. I know that it's always hard on a TV show like Game of Thrones where there's a million actors. When it comes time to award shows, who's going to take something home? How do you split that around? And Westworld's a little similar in the fact that there are so many characters. But we do have news on that. So they've already won some awards for Critics' Choice. They won Most Exciting New Series for Westworld. They were nominated for Best Drama Series, but they didn't take that home. Game of Thrones did. They won Best Actress in a Drama Series, which went to Evan Rachel Wood. And Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series to Tandy Newton. I had some controversial feelings about that because I don't know, again, just like Game of Thrones, how you decide who is a supporting actor or actress in a series like this. But I'm glad that they were both recognized. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. I mean, I know you have to choose one because you want each to win their award. But to me, at times, I think Maeve was a more interesting character than Dolores was, to be quite honest. And I mean, that's a whole subject of politics in, in Hollywood. (laughs) <laughs> I agree, though. I agree. But I, I agree with you. Like, I, I had issue with that as well. I really did. In fact, I almost wanted both of them to be lead actress. Mm-hmm. And then what – like I'd almost like just one of them. But then to be nominated to show that you can carry a show, you can truly have a lead actress and not a supporting actress. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And when they're so uh, spread around like that, I think you need different categories. We need to start thinking about that in a different way maybe. But – They were also nominated for some Golden Globes, so we'll see how that turns out. Best TV series drama, best actress in a TV series drama, again, Evan Rachel Wood, and best supporting for Tandy Newton. So almost the same lineup for the Golden Globes. Our boy Anthony Hopkins didn't get anything? Not under these lists so far. It's just been these two. That's a damn shame. That's a damn shame. And no Jeffrey Wright. So that'll lead me into my official MVB, my most valuable being. I picked Lewis Hertham for a couple of things throughout the season. Um, And I I think his acting was incredibly strong. But just thinking season as a whole, because Jeffrey Wright was in the show a lot more. He had a lot more screen time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to give it to him. The performances were amazing. Yeah. I think that he showed such difference between when he was playing host Bernard versus when he was playing actual human Arnold, 
character, which is something hard to pull off. And he also had to do the host shut on and off thing. Yeah. There were certain scenes where he's stuttering and short circuiting that just, it blew me away. I think that's, that's a good that's MVB. My MVB. I, I went you? differently, but I could go that way as well. Tandy Newton for me. I guess it's too obvious, but that was, she was, I'm, I'm going to say this, this is a strong statement. The best acting this year. You loved her from episode one. I did. And I knew, I said from episode one, she's going to be a big deal in the show. They're not showing it yet, but she's going to be one of the ones that is going to spearhead this revolt. I'm going to say right behind her is Rami Malek. I got, you know, you can't forget him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> And look, in my notes, the little we got to see of, of Lewis acting as Peter was amazing. Yeah. So we're all on the same board. How about you? So MVB, explain this to me. So this is most valuable being, but across different series? No, no. It's just for this series. Uh, I cheated. Okay, got it. All right. He, he, so most, he said Maeve not only gets this season, but also the year. So that's right. Cheating, no. But just for Westworld, what would you Okay. Do? Boy, both of you guys have really put a solid argument forward for Maeve and for Arnold. I mean, it's, I know it sounds too obvious, but when you look at the mastery of what Anthony Hopkins did with this role and just with any role that he ever, that, that he does. And there's a great video on YouTube. And we talked about this on one of our other podcasts, go to the nerd writer on YouTube and they break down the scene and the way that he takes the lines and, and acts them. Uh, is just a it's it's masterful. It, for me, it would have to be Anthony Hopkins, uh, and then shortly thereafter, I'm I'm gonna have to go with Jeffrey Wright. The sh- season and the upcoming seasons are in good hands with Jeffrey Wright. If we only get one good season of Anthony Hopkins, I want to give it to him in 2016. So that's who I'm giving my MVP to is Anthony Hopkins. I like yeah, that. Jason was yelling at me because we, we do it episode by episode, and then we also do a season MVB. So all season long, I kept giving my episodes to other people and not Dr. Ford. And he kept saying, what are you saving him for? He's yeah. amazing. Just name him already. So I think it took me till episode nine to finally list him as, as MVB, but I got him in there. Well, even, even in the episodes that... And again, all the episodes were fantastic. I, I want to make sure that everyone understands that I believe that was much better than a lot of things on television this year. But if you go in, even this, the episodes where we didn't like it or it wasn't as good as some of the others, and you, you can have those, you can have favorites. Right? It's, it's okay to say that. In the episodes that we didn't like and there was still Dr. Ford's screen time, you were like, this guy is fucking great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He makes this show like, like I perk up right away when he's on screen and he just eats up screen time. And if you can do that as an actor, I mean, that's, I mean, that you're at the top of your game, you know, people are just throwing awards at you. So that's probably why he's not nominated is because it would be almost too obvious. Like you can't, you can't nominate Anthony Hopkins and then not give him an award. You know what I mean? You're right. You know, you can't do that anymore. And he's back with a vengeance. He's also shooting a movie. He just he just rapped on Transformers. Yeah. I forget already. There's another movie he's doing right now. So right. he's back to work full he's time. He's just a legend. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. difficult to go up against him, I think. <laughs> and he's an artist. Yeah, he's doing a lot of paintings. Yeah. Uh, it was just they're up at Caesar's Palace right now in uh, Las Vegas. He's kicking ass, taking names. That's right. That's right. Imagine having him on the podcast. I would, I would stutter even more than I am now. I'd well, be- we'd all have to be naked. That's what we have, have to podcast. That's his requirement. He's like, listen, if you want to interview me, you have to be naked. 
Can you imagine that? Like you're an actor, you're Evan Rachel Wood, you're Lewis Hertham. Uh, and not only do you have to act against, again, one of the best actors ever, but you have to do that un- like fully nude. No, I can't imagine. That's when we, we were actually talking about acting, but we never got into how hard it must be to just ignore that mm-hmm. and, and act so amazing despite the fact that you're being filmed completely naked. My goodness. I wonder if they did an, like an actor's exercise where they just spent like two days naked. Just get used to it. Talk about anything. Talk idea. about, you know, your breakfast. Talk about everything. And then by the time it's it goes to shooting, it feels natural. I wonder. Desensitized. Well, well, listen. If I look, if I had a body like James Marsden or Ben Barnes, yeah, I'd walk around naked all day long. You probably do. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. What do I have to be ashamed about? Exactly. I'm <laughs> one of the best looking people in the world, right? When you look back at the cold storage, you look at the extras down there that don't. And again, I'm not you know trying to body shame anyone, but like. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sign up to be naked to be down there and have that on the big screen. Come on. By the way, I just totally random question. One of the last times we saw cold storage. Now, when we saw it earlier on and all the naked hosts, it was clearly extras in there. One of the last times we saw them, it looked weirdly waxy like they weren't humans. Yeah, I felt like a few of them were extras and then the rest were computer. Did we ever get any info on that? No. If it was CGI? According to Ptolemy's AMA, uh, 70%. Of the so if you saw a full body, it was an extra. If you saw like from the top up, uh, there was a chance that it would be a wax figure or a mannequin, according oh. to his AMA. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So wax figure. Well, even that's time consuming. Jeez. Okay. I feel like they made them look weathered on purpose because they've been down there for a while. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. And it's damp down there. There's floods. I mean, so, my skin be all messed up. Speaking of that, too, did we ever get a full resolution on why those areas are so abandoned, why they've just been built right on top of and let go to neglect? Was that fully ever resolved? Uh, not that we not that we could see. I mean, other than other than this was part of Dr. Ford's plan. Right. If he if he knew that this was going to happen all along, that, you know, he didn't want people down there tinkering with the stuff that he was doing, you know, I, he would probably let it go to neglect so that no one would go down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean, that's just supposition. That's just us taking a stab in the dark, but no, we, I don't think as an audience, we were told anything. It's like a big storage room. I mean, it's, one of our listeners wrote in on the telegraph and it didn't quite make it to air, but it, it, he basically said, you know, he works in a building and there are floors on his building where it's just empty computers and empty cubicles and, they just own the building, right? And they don't have enough people to, to fill down there, so they just use it as storage. So you apply that to a giant, you know, Mesa Gold type isolated island like Westworld, uh, where you've got all this storage. I, I I think the the biggest question that we had is why didn't anyone ever ask? Like why why are you keeping these hosts down there? If you know that you can fully repair a host, like we saw may be fully repaired and regenerated, if you just knew that you were gonna make new hosts and, and imbue their consciousness into another one. Why would you keep them down there? They have state of the art incinerators now. Like why, why do you even do it? Unless it's Ford's fallback plan. Right. And I mean, that's the only thing that I can think of. So I mean, listen, if I, if I was Delos, I probably would have questioned that a long time ago. <laughs> Absolutely. What was the, what was the town that had the brothel where it's like a dangerous town? Pariah. Pariah, the mountain in the background when they stroll up to Pariah is uh, Mesa Gold. Mesa Hub. That's Mesa it. Hub, yeah. So 
like the most dangerous part of the park, they have home base right there. Mm. So maybe they're more apt to get there quicker. I don't know. I wonder. That's interesting. I always thought, and, and I have to, I'll have to look at the map here. Um, but I think on Delos Incorporated or or DiscoverWestworld.com, there's there's interactive maps, correct? Yes. And you can look on, you can see where Pariah is, and they kept adding to it as the season went on, almost like Game of Thrones, where you could interact and see where you know uh, Winterfell is and yep. all of that. I'll have to look, and I, I don't know. I thought Pariah was, I got the impression anyway, that it was like in the outskirts, but maybe Mesa Gold's on the outskirts as well. Yeah, that's what they're making it seem like, because we never really knew. We got that infographic where we saw the different levels of the Mesa hub, and that it was, in fact, built into the side of a Mesa, but they didn't show where in the park that mountain structure was located. So I guess now you're saying they've given us some information on perhaps where that is. And then the thing is, there's got to be tons of mesas. I mean, this might be the big operating center, but there could be other ones. Oh, I'm sure. There's different types of operations going on. So much we don't know. By the way, speaking of that, we got our update from Aiden earlier on in the week that showed that there was problems in the system and they didn't really give us much of the regular issue like he normally does. This was another time around where things were messed up, but he sent an email out again. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before with our last issued updates on Westworld. There wasn't a lot new to tell. They were just talking about the trouble with the website and the outages as a result of routine maintenance. And he said, you could say we were lost in a reverie. (laughs) <laughs> and they're no longer taking reservations for now. They are booked up for the foreseeable future. So that was the last update for a year. Aiden for a year. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the season before we get into our reverie rating, which is our rating for the season as a whole, what we give it on one to 10? Okay. So we know that the hosts, especially two of them, Maeve and Dolores, have made their first decision that hasn't been scripted. Correct. And we're assuming that from this point on, that'll only grow. We're on their side right now. We're, I'm actually happy. I'm like, yeah, shoot them. I don't <laughs> know why. I'm a human. I'd be the one being shot. But I'm wondering what their goal is going to be. Do they want to leave or do they want to just control now their Westworld and keep the humans out and, and start their own kind of narrative world, their own lives, essentially? They can have uh, their own hosts fix themselves and they can create new hosts if they wish. And then who's going to be the leader of that? Yeah, I think that depends on from whose perspective. If you ask the host, they would probably want to leave. Mm-hmm. They're, they're upset with what's been done to them. Once they find out the truth of it, um, they'd probably want to get out, have the ability to see what the real world looks like and make their own decisions. I doubt if they'd actually want to stay here. But I wondered... If that was Ford's ultimate goal, because he was a proponent of the fact that they were safer there under his control and this really was better. And did he really want them all to break out and get into the outside world? And if so, how? He said he was preparing them all this time. They've been learning about their enemies and learning what humans are like so that they could fight them. But in what way? So, yeah, I'm not sure. So the question is, did Dr. Ford want them to go to the outside world? Not just that. Like, what is their goal now? Now that they've created, they can make their own decisions. What will be their goal uh, or goal to 
go to the outside world or are they going to want to say, you know, this is our West world. We just want to get rid of humans yeah. here and we want to cultivate our own environment here. Here, I wonder what their goals will be from this point. Hmm. Why go That's out? A, yeah, no, agree. Agree. When they can live in their little utopia right there. I think it's the idea of exploration, right? That's what's, that's what spurred mankind throughout the ages, right? Is this idea of exploration and curiosity of knowing what's beyond, you know, our own little worlds and what's beyond the horizon. So I don't know if that's programmed into the host or not, or once you become sentient, that's part of being, you know, what we think of human is, is exploring beyond our realms, or they could just be like, listen, like, this is our little patch of land. Please get out. You know, like, don't come here anymore. Right. Like I halfway, I halfway expected there to be a statue of Liberty on, on the beach. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, <laughs> the planet of the apes idea, yeah. but um, no, they, they, uh, I think it's, um, I think these are some great explorations. And I think now we're getting into the, to the fan fiction, you know, situations that we all get trapped into. I've done it multiple times myself. I think we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait and see. I trust Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. That's, that's all I can say. And I trust HBO. So- and I trust, I trust JJ Abrams for the most part, <laughs> for the most part. I was just thinking about the fact that they they really might not know what to do initially. I remember that Dr. Ford told us that story about the Greyhound and fighting the whole time, chasing that thing. And when he finally got it, oh, yeah. then he didn't know what to do with himself. So if they finally are offered this freedom, you know, that's an overwhelming prospect. So it could take a little bit of time for them organizing, finding out what the real world is, and then what do we do from right. here? That, that could be a whole couple of episodes of a journey for them. And I think that would be exciting just to see that. And who ends up being the leader? Who's, who's going to be the voice above them all? I would have said Bernard, but he seems to be broken right now. Right now. Yeah. Maeve, Maeve is still leading the charge, but she's gotten a little sidetracked with finding her daughter. But and Dolores um, is kind of leading it right now as well. Teddy will follow along with Dolores. Whatever she does. Yes. Who's going to lead the humans? That's my question. Do we even know? I don't think we've met him or her. Got it. Yeah. It's going to be another big star. You basically just have <laughs> the, the man in black at this point, right? Yeah. As far as somebody's perspective that we're seeing from that side. And he's thrilled about the fact that they're awakening. Finally a challenge. Uh, I'm excited to see he smiled. <laughs> how he takes this yeah. now that this is a world that they can have free will we think we got a clasher wrote into us just real quick about the concept of free will because this was interesting he said after the finale i think there is a hidden philosophical commentary about the concept of free will the idea that we humans like hosts do not have free will after all many studies on neuroscience tell us that a simple brain scan can predict your decisions with great accuracy before you think you made them if we put that on a tablet in real time wouldn't it be like the host everything and everyone that is affected your past and present are your programmers your dna your childhood upbringing environment all external factors that influence your decisions so perhaps they are just becoming more human which in fact means not having free will oh <laughs> so yeah i know that could take you down this whole other avenue for about an hour but any quick thoughts on that that's deep <laughs> I, I, listen i would be scared if someone were to put my brain scan on, a, on an iPad and then show it to me, I'd be, I'd be I'd freak out. I'd be I'd freak out. 
I don't know where my apperception levels would be. Like, what is? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'd be afraid I'd be a four. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, this guy. You know what I'm saying? I wonder what mine would be. Well, that's deep. We have a lot of clatchers that delve deep into either theories or or thought patterns or other shows. Psychological meaning, which is very exciting for me. This is why I always... As a therapist, As a therapist, I bring up a lot of these points because I find it interesting. And there is so much psychology behind what we've been seeing all season and what the hosts go through and the fact that you know, Dr. Ford told Bernard that at one point, you really aren't that different from mm-hmm. us. You're not mit- missing much um, after all. So I think that could be a realization that both sides come to eventually after so much warring with each other that there's not a lot different about the host in the end. There's so much. I'm just... so <laughs> Yeah, we. I mean, we can put that back out there yeah. to the listeners too to keep writing in about that because I'd love to hear other thoughts. Okay, so I think that brings us to our reverie rating for the season. From a 1 to 10, what do you give season 1 as a whole? I'm going to go with 9.7, 9.8. I think that's the that's where I want to be. It wasn't perfect, but nothing's perfect. It's way up there. I mean, there's not much room for growth there. It's 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 near perfect. It's everything I would ask for. I agree. I'm going to give it a 9.7. One of our listeners, <laughs> I actually gave a 9.9 for episode 10, which yeah. is atypical for me. But they said, can't you just give it that extra point one? What else are you looking for? Uh, but no, overall, I did love the season. If you average out the ratings we've been giving all season long, I would wind up at a 9.7. So, Same here. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to have to go like a 9.5 as well. I, I was like, it's, 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 it was a brilliant season. And it was fantastic. Uh, there was a, you know, there was some unresolved stuff that felt rushed, and like it, at the end, it was like a sprint to the finish line. You know, well, not quite as bad as the end of a Revenge of the Sith, where they're just trying to like all of a sudden now they're in you know 1970s costumes for no apparent reason. <laughs> like it wasn't that, uh, but they did tie up a lot of loose ends, and a lot of the answers were the simple ones, and they didn't go down the rabbit hole of uh, or the. I know we talked about this, but they didn't try and trick the audience, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was great. So from a storytelling perspective, from a direction, from a production standpoint, yeah, everything is definitely 9.5 for me. It's up there. I mean, all they have to do now is just not fail. Like they made it. <laughs> yeah. Not to overthink things. They have a year. I mean, I wonder if they're not even done writing. Probably not, right? Rewriting. No, 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 no. I, I think principal photography, according to Jonathan Nolan, some reports I've read, begins in July. Okay. Wow. In July. So they, they've got six, seven months of planning or pre-production. I'm sure they've already gone into it. But um, well, let me guys ask you this. You guys were Mr. Robot fans and everything like that. Again, I saw season one. I really enjoyed it. But there was some – I've heard rumors and you know chatter that season two wasn't as good. Where if you were to compare the two different series, right? If you were to compare Mr. Robot to Westworld, would you would you say that Mr. Robot got better in season two or did it take a little bit of a step back? A lot of fans thought season two of Robot got better. I definitively thought it got worse and I took a lot of flack for that, but I will stand by my opinion that I steadily got more and more frustrated with it as season two went along. I, I think... They did a good job pulling it back from the edge right yeah. at the end with episode 10, but I felt overwhelmed. I felt 
like they just kept raising questions and not answering them. And then when they were answered, it wasn't all that exciting for season two. So it was a different feeling for me than season one. I feel a lot less pressured with Westworld. There's mystery and questions, but it's fun looking for the answers. And there is some of a fantasy element, which gives a little bit of a reprieve. Um, I think that season two is always difficult for a show. That's where it could struggle, but I have a lot more faith in the show to do it. Yeah, I'm on I'm on board with that. Mr. Robot season two wasn't as good, but I mean, it feels weird to say that because I really enjoyed it. I think they got really deep into the psychological and left, right, up, down. They sometimes may have lost themselves a little bit. <laughs> yes. And we felt it because we were, we as all viewers, because we were super lost. So it might have gotten, that's what I mean. Like if they don't overthink this next season due to how the reaction was for the the season prior, I think that's what Mr. Robot did. They were like, wow, people really loved how they didn't know what was going to happen and the twist and the turn. And we we blew their minds with this. So we got to make sure we keep that, those flavors in there. As long as they go with it. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, one more thing to add to that, too, is you have to remember, for us, we look at the season of Westworld, and we were saying maybe some of the answers that they got to were a little bit obvious because we're podcasting, we're constantly researching, we're talking about it, we're looking into things. People that aren't doing that, that are just watching the show, I have family and friends that don't listen to podcasts and don't do any of that, and when I talk to them, they call me up and say, all right, Christina, I don't have time to listen to your two-hour podcast, but in five minutes, can you break down for me what just happened? Because I don't understand Westworld at all. Right. So, you know, even then there there was a little bit of confusion for some of those viewers. So they have to keep that balance, I think, which is very delicate with the audience. It's a very delicate balance because you don't want to write a script where the viewers, you think the viewers are stupid. But mm-hmm. you also don't want to lose the viewers because you get too micro, yes. you know? It's a balancing act because the, the audience is smarter nowadays for the most yeah. part. Well, without a doubt. And if, and if they're not smarter, they're going to search out answers for themselves. And they have the ability Correct. now with the internet. Yeah. And you don't want to, like, like you said, you don't want to, like what, what they did, they did two time frames, possibly three time frames. If you go back to like T35, right? You saw T35, T30, and then T0 if you subscribe to... Uh, that terminology. I don't want to see them throw in four timelines or time frames. I don't want to see them, you know, you know, like they, oh well, we got to raise the bar. You know what I'm saying? Or we we had three different mysteries. Now we got to have four or five different mysteries, and then it, it collapses. Uh, it's like a it's like a, a house of cards. You start stacking too high, it's all going to come down. And I think that was the issue with Lost, and I think that's the issue with other shows like The Walking Dead, where it's collapsing upon itself because it's consistently trying to outdo itself. Right. Uh, from the previous season, instead of concentrating on what makes the story, like, does this storyline even make sense? You know what I mean? Like, yes. are people, y- yes, audiences will suspend disbelief, right? This is a world where we accept that robots and have this advanced AI and everything like that, but it made sense to the audience, right? And if you can do that, if you can still make it make sense that in Game of Thrones there's dragons, sure, but all the, the human storytelling is a very... It's, it, it, there's elements that of, of, of every story that we've ever heard in our entire life of, you know, jealousy and, you know, uh, greed and power and the struggle for that and love and, 
you know, all of that, those elements that make a storytelling really good now. And then there's dragons and (laughs) zombies and white walkers. Right. But we subscribe to that. We believe that because the story is good. And I think that's why we subscribe to Westworld. And if they make the show, if they move away from that, what makes a story telling experience good for the audience and just move to a puzzle show or a show that consistently asks questions like lost it a lot of times, Mm -hmm. then you're going to lose a significant part of the audience. And people aren't going to be that involved in it. And people are going to say, well, it took a step back because it tried to be a puzzle show instead of trying to be the best show out there. Bam. Right there. I think that sums up. I think that does. That Season one, right? I know. It's so sad to say goodbye to an episode or season, especially on the podcast. Raj, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, guys. No, this has been great. I really, I mean, listen, I love talking Westworld. I really do. It's like my favorite. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Roger underscore Roper. Uh, or you can follow at Shad on TV. Again, we're going to do season recaps of Taboo FX and American Gods right after that, which I have to listen to the audiobooks of American Gods because so, I have to be a reader. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's going to be that audience of American Gods. It's going to be reader versus what's on stars. And then also check out Shad the Movies. Follow us at Shad the Movies. Uh, or you can go to shatthemovies.com or shatontv.com. So thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks. Uh, am I a clatcher now? Like, I like, no, you're, I, you're a clatcher. Is there a is there a membership fee I have to pay to be a clatcher, or is that? All you got to do is is be as enthusiastic as we are about TV shows and movies, and you're there. Perfect. I'm in. I'm in. Thank you guys so much. I had a lot of fun. You guys will have to come on and be on Shat the Movies or Shat on TV. Please. We would love to. If you watch awesome. Sherlock, maybe we can get you for an episode. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. Well, that wraps it. Clatchers, thanks for listening. Follow us for Sherlock and check us out on Patreon. We're doing a movie podcast this month, which is... Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, our first one for all of you Patreon members who are at that level. We look forward to reviewing that. And we also have our bonus podcast every month with our Patreon. Follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. Check out our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. We got awesome shirts, link to the Patreon website, the blog, everything you need there, the newsletter. Keep following us as we move on till the next show. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.